Hello, and welcome to News from the Torah. This is Leah Roney. Today is the 10th of January, 2024, the 29th day of the Hebrew month of Tevet, and this week we're reading the Torah portion of Vayera, in which we start the process of the 10 plagues that hit Egypt before the Jewish people can leave that country. And um, I would like to talk about the plagues and what they mean to us. Because the plagues are an integral part of breaking free from Mitzrayim. Mitzrayim, Egypt in Hebrew, also means strains, Mitzrayim. It's the same letters, a little bit of different pronunciation, but the Hebrew word for Egypt, Mitzrayim, also means uh, a narrow place, somewhere that you are stuck. And Exodus is all about getting unstuck, leaving our bad habits, leaving our places of stuckness. So last week's Torah portion ends off with the Jewish people being really angry at Moses. Because if you remember, Moses went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, no way, no how. And since you have too much time on your hands and you have all these idle ideas of going out to worship God, apparently you're not too busy. So I am going to make you make, produce the same amount of bricks, but I'm not going to give you the, um, the straw. You'll have to go out and get your own straw because apparently you have enough time for that. So you go find your own straw and then make the same amount of bricks. And so now the Jewish people have to work twice as hard. And of course, they cannot produce the same amount of bricks and they get beaten up for that. So what's the point of that story? The point of that story is that it has to get worse before it becomes better. And when we want to get out of our personal Egypt, sometimes we think, okay, let's take the straightforward path. Let's just talk reason to our own quote-unquote Pharaoh, and then it's going to be okay. And then our even inclination, our Yetzirah doubles down and makes us twice as hard to uh, leave this bad habit our animal instinct starts fighting back and it gets worse before it can better get better. And the way to break out of there is by making the situation untenable, by making it impossible, by breaking down the natural order of how things are. So you cannot stay in this country anymore. You cannot stay in this place anymore. And this is what the plagues are going to do. The plagues start in this week's Torah portion and they break down everything that is known to be true in Egypt. On earth, in the air, and in the sky, at all three levels, the entire experience of Egypt is being broken down so that on the one hand, Egyptians cannot stand in the way of the Jewish people to leave, but on the other hand, the Jews understand that, hey, this country is not happening anymore. We have to get out of here. The plagues are just as much for Egyptians as they are for the Jews. And in our experience, very often, it's only suffering. It's only um, extreme push that really motivates us 
to get out of our places of stuckness, when our stuckness doesn't work for us anymore, when our stuckness runs into uh, reality and collides with reality, then we're really pushed to start making a difference. But until we feel that pain of plagues, until we feel that our world is falling apart, we are not really motivated to make a change. And I think this could not be more applicable than to today's events. Um, the attack of Simchat Torah, the attack that happened on October 7th. And by the way, I refuse to use the term that some people are using, like the black Shabbat. Shabbat is never black. Shabbat is always blessed and is always beautiful. And unfortunately, our enemies have chosen a double holiday, a Shabbat and a Simchat Torah, to inflict this calamity upon us, but that doesn't make the Shabbat black. So um, to go back to what I was saying, the calamity that befell us on October 7th, on October 7th, on Simchat Torah, is only a start of a huge wave of implications that are hitting the Israeli society because for the Israeli society to move to the next level to really embrace redemption, we have to get out of the old patterns. And the only way to do that as a society is for the old patterns to stop working for us. And that means we have to let go of everything we know about our society, everything that we know about our society, all the presumptions we make, all the assessments we make have to be broken so that they don't work for us anymore, so we don't stay with the usual and the familiar, and we are motivated and sort of forced to go start nuking for new ways. So the this calamity of October 7th has really hit the Israeli society on multiple levels. We really placed our trust in our security forces, in our army, in, into our intelligence. When things didn't make sense, we looked at them and said, yeah, the smart guys in Amman, in our Israeli intelligence, in our units like 8200, which is the Israeli intelligence, those guys have it all together. They're so smart, they will outsmart our enemies. Our enemies are actually pretty dumb. And even if things don't make sense, it's okay. They're probably not supposed to make sense. Our guys got it. Um, and then we have built a billion-dollar defense line with Gaza that was broken down by Hamas in the manner of half an hour with um, tractors. And we've placed our... Uh, trust in the defense budget and in the smart strategy of our generals. And that didn't stand a chance. Our wonderful technologies are not really working for us. Just last week, unfortunately, just this week, unfortunately, uh, the Hezbollah hit the um, units, the technology in northern Israel that is used to observe and see what is going on in Lebanon. And those uh, installations were hit by the Hezbollah. And I was shocked. I mean, how can it be that those installations don't have their own 
Iron Dome. And apparently they do. They have multiple defense systems. But those defense systems were taken out by Hezbollah before the intelligence equipment itself was taken out by Hezbollah. This happened literally this week. It's uh, a replay of what happened on October 7th or before October 7th. Uh, We cannot trust the IDF to protect us the way we did. We cannot trust our intelligence services to protect us the way we're supposed to do. We cannot trust our technologies to protect us the way we relied upon. We cannot place trust in our security into the hands of the people we have been known to entrust our security. Unfortunately, in Israel, former generals are considered to be definitive authorities. They leave the army and they run for politics because we think that if they raised um, to the high ranks in the army, then they're good for governing this country, where in fact every single um, chief of staff of the IDF who became a prime minister was a total and complete disaster in running the country and the government. And Ehud Barak, who was considered to be the number one soldier, probably one of the best um, chief of staffs of the IDF, proved to be the absolute worst prime minister in Israel's history. And he is continuing to wreak havoc in Israeli politics to this day. Um, So anything we thought we knew about trusting the IDF with our security cannot be held true anymore. And I say this with a lot of pain because our soldiers are doing an amazing job in Gaza um, to the extent that they're allowed to do that. And of course, they're fighting this war to protect our homeland. And of course, they have to keep doing that every single moment. And um, the IDF has to fight against Hamas and then against Hezbollah in Lebanon to ensure the survival of Israel. But I think somewhere deep down, us Israelis are not as reliant on the army anymore and certainly not on the strategy and smartness and wits of our intelligence and our generals. So this is the first line of defense. This is the first plague that Israel has gone through in the past three months. The second plague is the plague of home. 200,000 Israelis have lost their home. The 200,000 displaced people who are living in hotels, in guest apartments, who are suffering from financial difficulty. There are many, many people who lost their home or maybe they're staying with their relatives. So this is affecting multiple populations, even beyond the 200,000 that are displaced. They have families who know that their sister or brother or mother or daughter is not at home. So we don't have that security of knowing where my home is. And for the many, many people in pre-border communities like Ashdod and Ashkelon and Tivot and Ofakim um, and in Haifa and in Tzfat, maybe they have home, but that home is being shelled. They have air raids. Just this morning, I was talking to a friend in Tzfat and they had two air raids, one after the other. So my home is not really safe anymore. So this second plague, the psychological need for stability, for knowing where my home is, we Israelis are going through this plague as well. 
The third plague is obviously financial. There's a huge amount of financial difficulty. The families have been displaced. They're given hotels and food, but that's not enough because family has have many other uh, budget items and they have no income to cover those. Uh, the numerous families, people who went to fight in the reserves and they have businesses and those businesses are failing and the people who work in those businesses that are failing are about to be kicked out because there won't be a business. Over 100,000 Israelis lost their jobs right after the attack. So we have an unemployment issue. We have failing businesses. We have um, evacuated families who are all experiencing hardship. And while the Israeli government is putting up all kinds of packages to um, help people, they're not enough, not fast enough, and not enough money. And just think of a woman whose husband is out fighting in a war and she has three, four, five kids at home. How is she supposed to work exactly? How is she supposed to work when the usual uh, parenting arrangement doesn't work anymore and she's solo parenting? So many of the women of soldiers are also um, not being able to make money and sometimes it's both spouses. The husband, for example, is a business owner and is not making money in the business. And the wife is um, solo parenting, cannot make her income. So there's a lot of hardship, financial hardship. And this is the third circle of issues. The fourth circle is the psychological one. And I spoke about it in previous shows. This is the biggest health um, mental health crisis in Israel's history. The trauma um, is present on so many levels and the post-trauma hasn't even kicked in yet. Um, Marital issues, uh, kids issues, teens um, not being in programs and not being in school for two months and uh, trying out all kinds of things they should not be trying. Um, Just the, you know, the uncertainty of it all uh, and being in a war that is the longest running war in Israel's um, recent history. All of this together adds up to a huge toll on Israel's psychological well-being. And this is uh, something we haven't even started unraveling yet. This has not been even being started to be addressed, addressed yet because we're still in survival mode. And we're all still together and we're all still working on it. But um, as soon as, you know, this war is over, the first day after, so many people are going to fall apart emotionally. And this is going to be such a huge uh, issue that is not even being tackled yet. And I don't think that there are enough plans or know-how on how to tackle this national post-trauma in the day after. The fifth circle is the family circle. Many, many families are not functioning. Those evacuated families in hotels are not functioning. You cannot have a proper family life in a one or two room hotel setting. There's no privacy. There's no separation for parents and kids. There's no autonomy. Um, There's no structure. You know, when you don't have your own food, when you need to use a Google sheet to find out when your next laundry day is, when you cannot make decisions for yourself, even about little things like when we're going to eat breakfast, uh, 
when you cannot cook your own food for Shabbat, when you have no normalcy in your life, in your family life, in the relationship with the husband and the wife, all of that creates tremendous, tremendous pressure and strife for the family. And we also talked last week about the army families, um, a huge amount of army families where husbands are not at home for weeks on end. And um, this creates a lot of family uh, dysfunction. For families that had it good before, they will probably find a way to go through it, although it will be challenging. But for families who were already weak, when the war started, this could really bring a lot of family problems and divorces and family strife. And this is another issue that will be hitting Israel hard and contributing to that mental health crisis we discussed. Um, And of course, the biggest issue for the Israeli society during the year before this war began was our national unity. We broke down into two camps who were stuck in a bitter war um, against and for. It was ostensibly about the judicial reform, but really was about the future of Israel. It was two camps who had no boundaries, where everything was permissible in the fight, where some were ready to bring the house down to get their way, where there was no listening and no ability to understand the other side whatsoever was two camps who have completely different 180 degree opposite visions of where Israel should be going. And this was the state of Israel the day before this attack on the 6th of October. Today, or right after the attack, we all understood that we need to unite and Israel's slogan for this war is Biyachad Ninetzeh, we will win together. But this Biyachad, this togetherness, this unity is very, very fragile. And there's a great amount of politics and quite a few journalists who keep uh, bedmouthing one side or the other. Last week, the Israeli Supreme Court, the um, chief perpetrator of the need for the judicial reform, and the fight that broke out uh, signaled that it has absolutely no understanding of the situation and passed two extremely uh, controversial rulings. One, striking down a basic law that was passed by the Knesset, and another, um, legislating that Benjamin Netanyahu can be forcibly removed from his post by, um, by the um, legal counsel of the government. These were two main issues in the judicial reform um, debate, and the Supreme Court signaled that it takes a side and it doesn't care about national unity. Uh, Thankfully, both of these events passed by, and uh, the other camp said, okay, we'll deal with this, but we'll deal with it after the war. Um, That's very clear to everybody. But this uh, newfound unity of Israel is extremely, extremely, extremely fragile and can fall by the wayside the second somebody decides to go back to the fighting. And this is another plague that is plaguing us. We've all decided to stop fighting for a minute, 
to stop our internal bickering because we have a bigger enemy. But the differences are right there, just under the surface. It's like everybody's trying to be a responsible adult, but everybody is holding on. Or a lot of people, I'm not going to say everybody, but a lot of people are still holding on to the bitterness and the fear and the anger. And actually, the war made that worse because now not only are we bitter and angry about the other side, but we also blame the other side for all this war that's going on. And um, it's taking a lot of growing up and maturity for people to move beyond that paradigm and to find another paradigm of relating. Because it is very clear to all of us that what happened on October 7th was directly related to how we have been as a society in the past year. It is also very clear that Hamas thought that Israel was weak and would break down under this pressure. I don't think Hamas expected us to unite in the way we did. But while we're united on the surface and we're working together to make things better and to win this war, underneath the surface, there's a lot of pain and anger, as I said, and it's been exacerbated by this attack because we see the other side is um, blamable for the attack, for their part in contributing to the breakdown of the society. And I think this will be probably the biggest challenge for all of us unless we understand that all of these plagues that we mentioned right now are really a way to break down the Israeli society as we know it, to break down our awareness as we know it, because we have to move over, we have to move up to a different plane of awareness. That's the only way to redeem ourselves as a society, to find a new way of functioning. The old way, the October 6th way, doesn't work anymore. It doesn't work because it doesn't work for anybody in Israel. There were two camps fighting over what it should look like. And both camps were not happy with what it was like. Both camps wanted something else. That something else was different for the two camps, but I think what they both agreed on is that the status quo, this um, compromise, wasn't tenable, it wasn't sustainable. And so both sides understood that some change has to happen and started pulling in opposite directions to make that change happen. But in the end... It's not going to be one or the other. It's going to be something third that we don't know what it is yet. And this is how it always is, actually, in Jewish um, outlook and debate. You have two ways, two opposite outlooks, and then a third way comes and it resolves the two. There's a third way of being that's not like the first and not like the second, but it's not like we've been before either. And to find that, to find that redemption, to get out of our own national Egypt. We have to break down the Israeli society the way we know it today. And that sounds very scary. And I would say that for the many people who hear me who are outside of Israel, I think it is also becoming extremely clear that this diaspora is not going to work. I think we all understand that although we have felt very safe, in New York and Los Angeles and Chicago and London and Paris. Well, actually, they have not felt comfortable or safe in Paris and London for a while. Uh, but today, it's certainly less safe. And Berlin and Moscow and maybe even Sydney 
and Johannesburg. We all understand how fragile that diaspora is. I think the events of the past three months have really uh, took off the blindfolds and everybody is seeing that this diaspora, the staying outside of Israel is not a viable option anymore. And unfortunately, it's going to get worse because this first shake is just the first part of the series of the plagues that unfortunately will um, make everybody understand that diaspora living outside of Israel is not tenable, is not sustainable. And that's extremely scary. That's extremely scary and unsettling. I think many people don't want to see that yet, but I think many people are starting to feel it um, in their gut, in their instincts. And this is the time to come to Israel. In the end, Israel is the future of the Jewish people. Yes, it is suffering through a certain hard period. Yes, we are having growth pains. Yes, we're in a war now, but we know that it's going to be better on the other side. So my Jewish brothers and sisters throughout the world, it's time to come home. It's time for all of us to come home. It's time for all of us to leave our Egypt in Israel and outside of Israel and uh, grow up to the next level of awareness. But that next level of awareness is for sure going to be in Israel. So I'm going to leave you with that note. And I hope that in the coming week, uh, you can think of ways to identify discomfort, whatever discomforts you're feeling, whatever plagues are thrown your way, whatever pains are thrown your way, and view as them as a way to maybe um, take away that certainty, whatever beliefs and awarenesses and experiences you have, and look at it as God challenging you to grow up, to get unstuck, to move on to the next level of awareness, another way of being, another level of solutions. This is true for our national um, exodus from Egypt. It's true for every one of our personal exoduses from our personal Egypt. And I bless all of us that we find the path to redemption, to national redemption, to personal redemption, that all of our soldiers come back home safe, that all of our Jewish people, every single one of you and your families um, in Israel and outside is safe and that the hostages in Gaza come home very, very soon. Love you. This was Leah Roney with news from the Torah.